Welcome to the Republican Professor. This morning we have a wonderful guest, the man behind Instagram's at Voice of the Second, Dale Fincher. Thanks for having me again, Lucas. It's awesome to be here. Thanks for coming back. Uh, this is your second time and we wanted to talk about your posts. Yeah. Always interesting. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. This is one that was fairly recent. Um, <clears throat> got some action as far as as far as uh, comments go. And I'm trying to figure out how to share my screen for some reason. Oh, there it is. Okay. There we go. For those of you listening on audio, sorry that you can't see this, but and it's not really showing up that well anyway, but it's a, it's a meme that uh, says, uh, looks like it's a Twitter screenshot. That's says, right. Christians should always be on the side of laying down our rights for the benefit of the vulnerable. This isn't up for debate. <clears throat> the guy that said it is a name guy's name, Paul Ward had people asking in the comments who that is. It's at PR Ward. Who's Paul Ward? Do you follow? I him? don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know either. But then your commentary is very minimal, uh -huh. but, but powerful. And all you say is this is spiritual abuse. <laughs> um, and it got 17 comments. What do you mean by spiritual abuse? It just, I love how you just lay it out there. It's like a brick. You just, just throw it. Yes. Well, it, you just lay it. I mean, it's not, you don't even have to throw it. It's just weighty and you just, mm. I, I like, just rested it on that like a giant <laughs> yeah. paperweight. <laughs> even the meme is designed to be a paperweight. It's just sitting there. Well, it's probably important for your listeners to know that I worked within the world of spiritual abuse and, and helping spiritual abuse victims to recover for a long, long time. And then I myself was a victim of spiritual abuse and spiritual abuse shows up in, and most people understand this when they start, you start talking about it in manipulative shame-based organizations like churches and colleges. And, uh, and, and it can be in other ab abusive ways in institutions. It's a subset of abuse in general. So when you talk about abuse in, in, in a home with domestic violence or anything, it's, just, it's part of that whole thing where someone is trying to control and manipulate you and move you in a direction that is against your own humanity. And for spiritual abuse, it takes it the next level by saying, you need to do this, not for me, but for God. And bringing God in as the heavy and forgot and just say, God is on my side and not yours. Therefore, everything I'm saying you need to listen to. I am now the authority here. So spiritual abuse then shows up using God as the heavy and also by manipulating people's views of God and our view of humanity. Because if I can get you to think less about yourself, then I could begin to manipulate you. And that's where the whole, whole area of gaslighting comes in, which is incredibly common 
in the gun control world to gaslight other people into thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't be allowed to defend myself when you put it like that. Maybe I am really a bad person when you say that. Therefore, I sh- I'm going to surrender. Wow. Man, that is the clearest I've ever heard it explained. Oh, I good. Can tell, I can tell you have years of experience with this. Years. And I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of people to go through it. It all gets up in your head. So after a while, people in spiritually abusive organizations, they, they end up defending the organization because the organization then gets inside of them and they fuse their identity to it. And then if you make any type of critique of the organization, the, the organization doesn't even have to defend itself because they have all these parishioners who are willing to defend the dysfunctional person. I mean, a, tip, a, a very classic modern recent one for people would be the Mark Driscoll issue spiritually abusive person in a spiritually abusive network and he was using these weird views of god and people and gaslighting people and shaming people into his agenda and of course his entire church and network uh closed up shop just a few years ago where was that that was in seattle Uh, in fact christianity christianity today is has is in the middle of a long series of podcasts called the rise and fall of mars hill so if people want to understand spiritual abuse, especially going into the Driscoll world, of course, it's much broader than that. But uh, that would be a good place for people to walk in and just kind of sit in it a bit and hear how the manipulation happens and, uh, how, and how to also recover from it. Because it's hard. A lot of people who are atheists now are actually just spiritually abused Christians who didn't like that view of God. And the only way they knew to get rid of them was to get rid of God rather than to realize the God that I have is the wrong image of him. I need to fire the false God and, and, and pursue the true one. I, I don't know anything about that. I've heard of the podcast you're talking about. I've heard of this guy, Mark Driscoll. I've heard of Mars Hill. I don't know anything about it, but it, mm-hmm. I just, from what I've heard, it seemed like it was always like, uh, for lack of a better term, liberals talking about it. Um, I might have seen it on NPR somewhere. Uh, seemed like he was like Democrats kind of like going. Was he? A, do you think he was a Republican? The Mark I, I, I would not be surprised. He's okay. very conservative. That's so yeah. that's probably why it drew the ire of sure. secular onlookers that are Democrats. OK, so so I have just a so it's fascinating to hear you reference that from and link it to gun control, which, which if there's an NPR person listening here, uh, maybe pay attention to this because you're saying the gun control community is guilty of this same thing, same type of a thing that Mark Driscoll was. Is that what you're saying? in, In the way that people are being shamed and gaslighted into a position that is incongruent with reason and natural rights and human flourishing. Yes. But you know that. Can you like give me an ex- Oh, sorry. Well, like you gave that, uh, a, that great, uh, in fact, you shared a meme recently that says you cannot believe a contradiction. Right. Oh yeah. So that, I, I, that's part I, of it. Actually, it wasn't even a meme. It was, it was, that was the actual post. I think I shared that on, I don't have my iPad up. 
here, but I, I don't have my Instagram on my computer. It's one of the weird things. I, I have to have separate worlds because for yeah. some reason I go like, I don't have Twitter on my computer either. It's only on yeah. my iPhone yeah. because I do very minimal stuff with Twitter. I don't type things out. I just share things and share photos, but, uh, um, I believe that was on Instagram and that was just a screenshot of a Facebook post. I believe it was, uh, cause I don't, I don't follow NPR on Instagram. I'm not even sure if they're on Instagram and, and the screenshot was, it was a serious post by NPR. They meant it to be a serious post, I think. And they, they quoted Joe Biden as saying, <laughs> this is not about taking anybody's guns or um and the, the the title of the post was uh, biden plans on banning assault weapons and then right after that, he's like this is not about taking anybody's guns <laughs> it's like well hmm so why well, ban, just... why ban assault weapons if you're not taking them from anybody i <laughs> that's that that is the part that's against reason because they are constantly violating logic and reason and trying to make a comment like that. They're like, we're not trying to ban guns. We're just trying to get weapons of war off the street. And I'm like, weapons of war is a rhetorical device off the street is a rhetorical device. Neither one of these actually make any sense when you talk about the actual thing that you're talking about, because we don't, we're not allowed to own weapons of war anymore, especially since machine guns have been banned since 1986. And then, of course, they're not just laying on the street. You know, that's the big joke. Where are these guns on the street? I go out on the street. I can't find any. It'd be, you know, really cool yeah. to find some. Yeah. If they're on the street, the police have all their resources they need to just pick it up out of the gutter and and <laughs> um, put it in an evidence locker. The street sweepers would just be the gun collectors. There, there, there's no federal law that, re that is required prior to a police officer driving by and putting that in the back of the squad car <laughs> that's right <laughs> but it's when they say things like we don't want to ban guns we just want to ban these guns i'm like well that's what a gun ban is you just yeah, my, you just my living guns. room isn't the street basic yes. <laughs> basic difference between private property and public property that's right yeah well that's that's just the other part of the example they, they conflate these things in such horrible ways it's horrible. Um, how about all the insults get leveled at you for, you know, not who, by thinking that um, making guns illegal. If you stand up for gun rights, they'll say, oh, you're just doing it to compensate for your inadequate male genitalia. I've seen this comment everywhere in the last two weeks. Everywhere. Wow. It's like a script. They're just repeating. It's like, can you imagine the female version of that? You're just using this to because every every month, you you have a PMS period, and that's it makes you feel good. It's your crutch to get through that week. That's right. That's then that's shaming and that's manipulation. Imagine a husband saying that to a wife, and therefore he gets to beat her afterwards. That's the excuse, because that's exactly what gun control is. It's beating innocent people with violence. I'm not going to say the name of a former professor, but it's a professor that maybe you and I both had. I don't know. But um, former professor of mine, I really like him as a person. Yeah. 
after this thing happened in the, and by this thing, I mean, murders, we had perfectly good word for it, murder. When, right. when, whenever people call it a shooting yep. instead of a murder, well, okay. Discharging a firearm in public might be a crime, but it's less of a crime than murder. I don't know why you, you take the true description of it, which is murder and, and make it less of a crime. And the only way, reason you would do that is if you really are upset, not at the murder, but at the guns and that, and so anyway, but after that, he said, he, he did this Facebook post, which I interacted with. And he said, he said, no rights are absolute. That's what he said. That's his first foot forward after someone's absolute right not to be murdered, mm -hmm. violated, as if this is somehow compassionate. Mm -hmm. And I, I really gave him a mouthful on that. I was like, "You have Good to be you. kidding me!" And then he said, "Oh, I, I meant, I meant constitute." I said, "I said, so do you mean that no one has an absolute right not to be murdered?" Mm -hmm. No. What he meant was that you don't have absolute second amendment right so he, he actually right. said i i mean constitutional rights so then i said so i don't have an absolute right not to be enslaved by my fellow fellow human being or by the government because that's a constitutional right i don't have an absolute right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures really what what is that right conditioned on mm -hmm. and and by the way the unreasonable word the word unreasonable is not in the second amendment so if you take a textual approach at jurisprudence, it would make sense for a, a judge to consider the circumstances of reasonability in a search and seizure case, because mm -hmm. that the word is right there. It's in the text. There's no such word in the Second Amendment to guide a judge on how to interpret the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's right. Infringed is the operating word, right? It's not conditioned on reasonability of the circumstances. That's what right. would that be? How would that be? That's right. If public safety demands it, well, but that yeah. language is not there. I mean, a, a government, governments tend to always interpret expansively in their favor for their right, their, which they consider absolute, to keep the public safe. Mm -hmm. So that, that kind of like goes along with what you're saying about spiritual abuse. It's like, no, we're just making you safe. You don't understand. That's, oh yeah. That language is very much in it. Yeah. That's the attitude. So I said to this professor, I said that, um, I said, the government does not have an absolute right to criminalize innocent conduct. In fact, the government has no no right whatsoever to criminalize innocent conduct, which is exactly what this does. And that's why I don't like the language of some of the back and forth, even on on our side, the Second Amendment mm -hmm. side and the other side. The language is mixed up. Mm -hmm. um, people on our side talk about gun rights. Well, guns don't have rights. Mm -hmm. People have I rights. agree. That's right. That's, that's a rhetorical mistake. I agree. People on the other side will say, we'll talk about banning assault weapons and, and blah, 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 and not, not taking guns away. Well, well, you 
when when you're t- when you're talking about banning something, you're really talking about criminalizing some kind of conduct. That's right. And so what is that conduct? And is it conduct that people engage in right now today, innocently? Mm-hmm. They will become criminals for the same conduct tomorrow at 9 a.m. or at midnight. Um, that that's that's worrisome to me. And that so, yeah, you're if you're going to disarm people, that's what you're going to do. It, it's because people in prison can't have guns. Mm-hmm. And, and when you become a criminal, you can't have guns. And that distinction between criminal and innocent is um, there's such a cavalier callousness about that, that that I've noticed. Anyway, I don't know what this has to do with spiritual abuse. <laughs> well, it has everything to do with it because that's well, there's the a lot also, of, sorry. I mean, that, that, that is, I mean, government legal abuses are the same thing when you're creating unlawful laws. You're, you're destroying, you're keeping good people from doing good things. Why would you ever make good things illegal? That's that. And that's the exact same way spiritually abusive institutions and churches work, where they actually make up laws for good people. And it keeps good people from doing good things. And they will manipulate you and say, you can only be good because here's the law that we wrote. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see that kind of activity all the time. I mean, the biggest proponents against him were spiritual politicians. We call them the Pharisees, but they were the ones who were who owned the journalistic political discourse of the day, and they were the ones who were interpreting as well as making up rules for people to follow. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, "Dude, these things are keeping people from God. These things are manipulating people. You are literally," and Jesus says, "You are devouring." widows homes you are of your father the devil it's better than a millstone be put around your neck and then you'd be thrown into the sea than that you continue in this behavior and attack the innocent and distort their view of god and their view of themselves jesus did not hesitate to put the full force of language behind how evil this kind of activity is and like you said when you're criminalizing the innocent it's not just worrisome it is evil. It is the darkest thing we can do. And people run right into it because they think, well, if I do this dark thing, it'll have a better outcome. And of course, people are Public only thinking safety. in terms of, that's right. And people then only thinking of outcomes, which you should do only in non-moral areas. But when you apply pragmatism, outcome-based morality, you're just running off the cliff of the postmodern. You're just saying whatever outcome I want, that is what I'm going to manipulate all the morals in the world to achieve. And if on the other side of it, I do not achieve that, we're still not going to get rid of the horrible rules we made. We're just going to create more rules and basically ripping down a dam and then asking the water to stay put. That's good. That's very, that's comes out as prophetic to me. Now, I've been accused of being a prophet. Yes, <laughs> you've you've mentioned Jesus. Some people they look at Jesus and they go, "He didn't have guns." You, they can't imagine Jesus being a member of the NRA. 
So, you know, I mean, what do you, how do you respond to that? I'm just going to try to, you know, channel that frustration or that thought to you. Sure. How do you look at Jesus as a serious figure in this firearm context that we're in? Yes. I mean, how do you, how do you have, how do you think he has anything to say whatsoever or that he would be against you because he's so peaceful and so right. such a nice guy or I don't know yeah. how, whatever, you know, I mean, I, I could say the same thing about legalization of marijuana. Like how can, how can you bring Jesus in either way? And I, yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to see him smoking dope, but at the same time, how would, would he be against it? Um, he had long hair and, yeah. you know, I can imagine him kind of playing the, the, the guitar. So I guess maybe he would maybe smoke dope. I don't know, but <laughs> we all know Jesus. I, would. Just I, that's not my person. view. That's not my view. I'm just pretending <laughs> right. to be a Democrat trying to wrestle with a very minimal understanding of Christianity. How do you deal with that? Right. Well, if you were to drop Jesus in today's context, he would just look at you and say, you don't have a freaking clue about most of the things you talk about, not saying you, but most of the people in modern society don't have a clue about most of what they're talking about. And, uh, and we've created all these institutions of authority that have given us the reassurance we know what we're talking about. But by and large, most of contemporary society is operating on a very different way of thinking and doing things than Jesus did. So to commandeer Jesus and to commandeer what he taught and the tradition he taught from into a postmodern American context in our issues, uh, it's not a one for one. You just can't bring him in and say, see, he could talk perfectly about this. And this is the side that he's on. That is, would be so horrible. Um, it's laughable. So when you take a step back and you have to understand who the heck Jesus is, by the way, I did a huge project during COVID called Stories of Jesus for the Modern Family, which can be found at my website, dalefincher.com in which I go through all the stories of Jesus in the book of Mark, tell the stories in the way I believe they are couched in their context. And then I follow up each story with a commentary about how I understand it to be. So if somebody really wants to really wants to understand Jesus who has not encountered him before, or only has this weird caricature of contemporary society, society's view of Jesus, that would be an awesome place to go. But let's take a step back and ask ourselves who is Jesus and how would he speak into this debate? First, you have to understand that he's a Jew and he worked the entire Jewish mindset that started from Abraham and went all. So he is deeply devoted to and understands perfectly well Moses, Torah and the prophets. He understands the kings. He understands the history. He understands the mentality 100 percent. So that tells you that Jesus, as a Jew operating in the Jewish context, that he is a moral realist. He believes morality exists. That is in so huge today that if you go on most university campuses, as you know, and walk up and say there actually is such a thing as morality and it exists and it could be known outside the realms of hard science, half the people, 90% of the people would probably laugh at you. Some might say, yeah, there are there is such a thing as right and wrong, but we don't know how to ground it. It's just pragmatic. It just kind of works. And so we stick to that. So Jesus was a moral realist, and he says morality exists whether you believe it or not, and whether it produces the outcome you like or not, it is there. He also believes, of course, in the supernatural, which ties into, the, into morality. 
I think it's also important to know, and this is huge, that Jesus does not condemn the history of his own people, except where they got it wrong. And where he does not condemn them is in the area of war and self-defense. He has no problems with them using any weapon of war available to them in any form of technology at the time that they have to wage war against those who are against him. Now you see uh, against his people. It doesn't mean they were allowed to be, and you see it all over the scripture too. Whenever they are being the, uh, the ones who are assaulting others, whenever they're the ones causing the fights, the prophets and God comes in and says, you're doing it all wrong. This is not the way we do it. In fact, whenever they go to war where they're on the offensive, they do goofy things like blow trumpets and march around a city and the walls come tumbling down. I find that to be fascinating. And sometimes God gives them the command to go into battle and to do stuff, but it's because of a larger context about what's coming in against them. Jesus does not deal with that at all. He, does, he has no problems at all. He is not a pacifist. He doesn't come anywhere close to being a pacifist. You know, at one point, he even tells his, his uh, disciples to go buy a sword, which sometimes gets overemphasized in the Second Amendment debate. But at least it's there. You see that Jesus has no problem with self-defense or the tools of defense. What he has, a, why we see and interpret Jesus as being peaceful and why he gets imported into that today is because the Jewish people have a belief that when you are in enemy-occupied territory, you do not come right out with guns blazing. You use a strategy about how to work and move among a power that's larger than you for the betterment of your people and for the betterment of the people who are oppressing you. That is huge. So you see it during the Babylonian captivity. You have stories of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, Esther. And you see it also in the time of Jesus. Rome is the one that's occupying Israel. How do we work under Roman occupation? Well, when a Roman comes to you and says, you need to do this, you walk the second mile, you give him your coat, you turn the other cheek. These are all strategies about how to move forward without a Roman, you know, sticking a spear in your neck. This is how you move forward for the betterment of your people to let the Romans know, we're not trying to cause problems among you. We actually want you to become better. And that's exactly what happened when they were in Babylon. And that was the strategy when they were under Roman occupation. How do we help the Romans flourish? because they are overseeing Israel at the time. And of course, that will help Israel flourish as well. So to bring Jesus in the Second Amendment debate, I would look at it and would say he's a moral realist. He believes human beings have a right to life and liberty and property because Jews believe in private property. Thou shalt not steal actually has meaning. And he believes that to defend your life is important. Don't forget the whole annual celebration of Purim is a celebration of self-defense when the king in Esther's day wrote the decree that the Jews were allowed to defend themselves against Haman's decree that everyone's allowed to go in and kill all the Jews. So Purim itself was a self-defense uh, celebration. All of that wrapped up together, you would see, would Jesus have an AR-15? While the question, it may be jolting because it's taking somebody ancient and putting it in modern times. At the end of the day, it would be like Jesus would not be against that if it's the right tool to preserve life and liberty in the context in which you're given. He would not say it's okay to shoot up a school or to use it in a way that would cause any type of harm. But an AR-15, all that is, is just a fancy sword. At the end of the day, that's all it is. That's what it is at the beginning of the day. <laughs> and at the beginning. Dep <laughs> Depends when you're going to the range that day. Yeah, but that's yes. right. 
for the use oh, for the that's same really purpose. well said yeah that's great i love how you well it, it just rings true because because there's this huge time gap and there's this huge context a lot of people don't know the biblical history that you're talking about because they're biblically right. illiterate and uh i mean they know the bible's huge they also know they don't know much about it so you're just referencing babylon you're meant your reference which would be in the old testament where could they go to find out about the babylonian captivity that you mentioned uh you you would read through the prophets a great place to start would be daniel he's just a wonderful story to read of what it's like to be stuck in the middle of babylon and how to work and live and survive um so you're saying if they go to Daniel and how do you find that you go, you go to the table of contents in a physical Bible, mm -hmm. which is at the beginning and you'll look for Daniel. Are they mm -hmm. going to see Daniel defending himself or link like maybe he uh, won't, help he won't be defend. That's right. He won't be defending himself in it, but he will. And there's these amazing stories where, is, is the, the right to life and self-defense is, is right up there alongside the right to, to freedom of religion, which is also in the Constitution, but it's a right prior to the Constitution. And in that story, you'll see Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they will not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's God, and they're thrown in the fiery furnace. They're willing to die for it. And you see Daniel himself, he continues to pray, and he's thrown into the lion's den. And I don't want to give away what's going on with the rest of the story, but you could see that God is not on the side of Nebuchadnezzar and he's not on the side of Darius who threw Daniel in the lion's den. So he gives them triumph over it. And that's the remarkable thing about working with God is that even if you don't have the tools, sometimes God shows up and says, this is a critical part of the story. I'm going to be the tool. I'm going to deliver you. But he doesn't always do that. He doesn't always part the Red Sea for everybody, but he does say, here's something you, you have to take care of yourself. Too. Just like when you're planting crops, God may, while Israel's walking through the wilderness, give manna and quail from heaven for them to eat. But when you're in the land, you have to raise your own crops. You got to do your own work. Just pray for rain. It'll come. But you have to do your work. And I see self-defense with the proper tools in the exact same way. Every once in a while, there will be a miracle because God sees to it that that miracle is necessary for the story as it unfolds. But by and large, Live like a wise person, take care of yourself, and God will help oversee. That's that's really helpful. Uh, so then you have uh, you have mentioned the Roman occupation. Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful for people to know that there's a huge history here that the Bible assumes that you know. That's but right. It doesn't right. actually tell you what the history is. Um exactly right it's so it's helpful if you know the history behind the bible like for example you go from malachi mm -hmm. and then matthew mm -hmm. and the bible itself doesn't really say the link there they don't there's no other book that says let me tell you what happened from the time of malachi to the time of matthew all this crap went down in the rest of the world and the Mediterranean. And this is what's going on now. And I mean, so that's what makes biblical studies so interesting is and endlessly fascinating. There is an actual historic context mm -hmm. that for, for stuff that's happening, a lot of people don't know even that basic stuff. So when they come to th theological reflection, 
uh, even the minimal theological reflection that would be uh, required if you're going to bring Jesus into a public policy debate. Uh, you know, there's not enough knowledge, background knowledge. Like I can tell you have it because you're you're, ref you're dropping references to Babylon, and which was an actual empire. It actually exists. It's not right. like you know. It's not like in Lord of the Rings where it's like what what was that place called? Not Narnia, but Mordor or Hobbiton. Yeah, that 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 thing, the the uh, the fake place. No, Babylon was a real place. It was on Earth, <laughs> and Rome that was a real thing. And so when you read the Bible, it's like the, the Bible is saying, yeah, there's it, it's it's Roman times now and Rome's in charge now. And and um, so you have to take that into consideration when you think about. It's kind of hard, actually, it's kind of hard to make the theological. Response, responsible, theological, biblical connection with public policy sometimes and i'll i'll make it even harder for you is that in on my view uh the bible is written largely and for people who are jews in jewish context even the gentiles that is being written to are in the jewish context so the scripture only thinks about two different kinds of people in the world there are jews and there are gentiles if you're not a jew you're a gentile our policy that's going on in the united states is 100% a Gentile conversation. So to bring a Jew in with their law, the law of Moses, and try to bring that in and speak into it in a constitutional republic like the United States run by Gentiles, you have to do an immense amount of contextual work to find out what applies here to people who are not given the law there. And Jesus does speak into it, and there's overabiding principles that are in it, for sure. But to simply say, Second Amendment, is this biblical or not? To be like, you're a Gentile. What are you even doing raising that question right now? And you almost sound like a nonsense person. You have to do a lot of that work to get there. And uh, thankfully, there are people who care about these things enough that help, have already done the work. And I'm trying to share some of the work that I have done. And hopefully make some sense out of what's really going on. Whenever anybody's evoking the word Jesus in social media and it comes to politics, I think, you know, 10 steps back and be like, whoa, slow down, horsey. You know, you're kind of getting ahead of yourself here and you probably are going to get it wrong because most people do. And it makes sense why they do. They haven't done the work. Yeah, I think a lot of the gun policy stuff has a lot of traction because people just don't know anything. They don't know. They don't even know what they're talking about. Like as far as the actual objects yeah. that you could hold in your hand, part of it is it's shameful to hold it in your hand, which is the very way you would learn. It's not shameful in my circles, but yeah, it, it's uh, it to be thought as shameful, which is abuse in order for you to even engage or entertain an idea. Oh, you're in the word shame. is just re, re, what if, what if we treated the gun control people and the way they do this, why don't we just call that a religion? And what they're trying to say to you is you engaging in something against our religion is a sin. So that if you're stuck in that mentality, which is a spiritually abusive trap, why on earth would you ever consider going to the shooting range and learning about how to use guns? If you've been told from the very beginning that to look at it, to touch it, to even consider it 
is a sin. You're a wicked person. You need to continue to stay in the fold over here or else you're going to fall away and become a heretic. A lot of people just say, I won't do it. And that's why they feel that awkward feeling when they're looking at a firearm. They're like, oh no, it makes me afraid. I knew a Canadian once when uh, I, I was talking to her and I was talking to her about a firearm. We were looking at it and she started going into a panic attack. Literally. <gasps> she couldn't breathe. I'm like, why can't you breathe? That, that, wow. That's a firearm. It was a single shot rifle. It was a hunting rifle. It was like, it's a, it's a, it's a fire. It's a firearm. It's like, is that a, a real shit. gun? And, and I look at that and be like, you were raised in a Canadian urban center. And it's, and the sentiments that have been surrounding you all this time is no different from a cult setting where you have grown up with the mentality that things are sinful and things are bad and things are dangerous when they're not. So what do you do with somebody that deep psychologically committed to a religion, it's really, really hard to move them out of it, which is probably why people may have liked that quote that I said is spiritual abuse. It's hard to move out of it if you've been immersed in it for so long. Yeah, in that sense, the, the firearm debate is different than the drug debate, I would say, because I was trying to think for of an some, analogy. Yes. If I was to walk in, I don't, I don't smoke pot. I don't do any of that. I don't do heroin. Um, I don't do Pepsi or Coke. Um, <laughs> but if I was to walk into a, a home and there was like a bag of white powder just laying there on the counter, like I'm trying to think of an analogy of how people would feel yeah. about guns. Like if there was just a gun laying there and I'm not used to guns. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I would be a little taken aback by yeah by uh, just a huge sack of uh, marijuana there or probably even worse if it was like crack cocaine or something that had this shameful kind of feeling like like heroin or something or meth i don't i'm not sure. even sure what i i don't think i would be able to even it's it's a it's an awkward analogy because i don't know if i would i don't think i would even be able to tell that's what that was Right. It's, a, it's a similar in the sense that there's like fake guns out there and, and people go, is that a real gun? Um, I've worked with like new people and they don't know anything about it. And they're frightened like, as if the mere presence of that object will turn them into a raving lunatic. Right. You yeah, yeah. It's like, well, that's yeah. not really how this works. I mean, you know, it's just right. like when you go to the used car lot, it doesn't mean you're a drunk driver all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> right, it but it's, it's, you're going to just mow down a Christmas uh, parade there and wherever that was. Was that Minnesota? I can't remember. Where did that happen? That guy. Uh, I think it was Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Uh, I know where you're talking about. It's it's. It, it sounds like, like it a was. Wisconsin it was a name. mass murder, right? With a with a car. SUV. Right? Yeah. Drove okay. through the crowd. Christmas yeah. crowd. Yeah, I I don't have shame looking at SUVs after that. Because no. I mean, because I, I know there's lawful, innocent uses for right. Hobby, but I, I so. think when you were getting these analogies, I remember when I was a teenager walking in and my friend's dad had pornography magazines on his table. And I remember even yeah. at the time. Did you did look, you say, is that a real, <laughs> is that a real porn? magazine? <laughs> <laughs> Are these mannequins? What's going on? Um but I remember even that was like, oh, that's that was shocking to me. Yeah, I had, uh, I had a similar experience. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people think that way about guns, too. To be like, this will taint me. This will hurt me 
if I entertain it. And with porn, that's true. And it's actually exploiting right. and, drugs, and, exploit, and, and drugs. It's exploiting people. But guns aren't that way. Guns do not inherently exploit people. Pornography in, and in its very essence is exploitive, but guns are not exploitive. If they were, you wouldn't have them in the military, you wouldn't have them by police officers, and you wouldn't have a million stories of people using guns for the sake of protecting children and protecting families and so on and so forth. So that's really bizarre that we shame people about firearms the way people are shamed about pornography, which is an actual legitimate wrong. Mm -hmm. I think it's overkill because we know that kids can, you know, be hurt. And, you know, if, if you don't know how to operate, some people don't know how to operate it or they should know, but they don't. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's no legitimate use for pornography. There's no legitimate use for drugs in this. I guess there's a medical use. If we, if we but, would couch like, drugs as medicine, th there would be more comparison. Yeah, to the drug, to the gun right. debate, because even if people, when they think of drugs, they think of all the illegal stuff. But if they thought of drugs merely as everything that's at the pharmacy that they need permission from a doctor to get for their own well-being, that's a similar parallel. And we've accepted, and I think that sounds like gun control, though, because that sounds it like you're asking. For it is, and I think that's wrong. I think I think that there is something inherently wrong keeping medicine from healthy people without a permission slip. Uh, okay, so you're saying the way we do pharmacy stuff is not right. That's there's yeah. something odd about that. I'm not saying that it should just be oh fine you just want to open up the pharmacy for everybody to come get whatever they want they're going to overdose or whatever It'd be like there needs to be education about it and a lot of things about it. But on the surface, when it comes to health and self-defense, there needs to be as few things between you and the goal as possible. Hmm. Well, that sounds like the pot dispensaries I've seen recently where, <laughs> where, I mean, a lot of people would agree with that, where they, there's no, I don't, you don't need a pharmacist to say you can go get the pot. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, we, I recently was on a, a, a walk at night and I was walking by a pot dispensary there in South Lake Tahoe, which is on the California side of the border. It's really odd. It's, it's an odd, it's just so odd. It's that, 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 that area is so interesting for public policy reflection because yeah. you walk across the street and you're in Nevada and they have yeah. casinos which you would not see in California. Yeah. You, you also see on the, but on the California side, you see these pot dispensaries, <laughs> but not casinos. So you see, right. So you see these guys, these, and they were kids. Yeah. I don't know how old, and I'm not saying they're all the same age. There was obviously someone that was older in the group, but they were waiting outside of the pot dispensary. And this kid came out. And immediately, like, I think he went 20 feet from the building, immediately lit up. And I walked right through that cloud. I mean, I was, I was probably about 15 feet away, but it drifted over to me mm -hmm. on the street, you know?
And it was really pungent stuff, whatever it was. And they're passing it around and they didn't need permission sure. from the government. Yeah. But if they have a, a, a magazine that has 11 rounds in it, they're criminals. That's right. And they walk it's across arbitrary. the street, they walk across the street to Nevada. They're a model city, Eagle Scout. And, That's you know, they, they, yet if they were to uh, fire up that doobie in the lounge, of the casino where they had live music and ashtrays on every table but that's what's that's what's interesting in these casinos is there's ashtrays on all of the there are smoke-free sections but but there's ashtrays everywhere mm -hmm. people are smoking in there there it's like a restaurant from the 80s that's how it used to right. be in the 80s remember that right. oh yeah see i remember smoking on airplanes it's horrible it's the only place you can go into California without going through a, an agricultural inspection thing before you get there. Oh, that's interesting, it's, too. It's that one street on in South Lake Tahoe. How about that? It's fascinating. Well, on, on that whole thing, I would say, one, I think the, the drug debate being around marijuana is just immature, but there's a, there's, it has a foothold in the conversation, so that's where people go. I think that it'd be great that if you have migraines, you shouldn't have to go get a permission slip to get your medicine or if you need your insulin and all that. I really think it should be about medical freedom. Medical freedom should be not be about marijuana and cocaine and opium and all these like things that are coming across the border and, and, and are really exploiting lives. It should really be about medical freedom in general. How do you release? How do we, and it might have to be incremental, but how do you release the controls? I mean, we've seen how badly pharmaceutical companies control our government. We see how, how much money is funneled and filtered through doctors who prescribe who knows what in order to get the kickbacks. There's so much corruption and administration and money being passed around because of the controls we have on medicine. I think that's a violation. I think if medicine is available, a medicine is something people can have. Now, if it's had to be, especially when it comes to so many things in nature, Particularly, but across the board, if you can make it, if you can have it, I'm, I think it should be more easily available. You shouldn't need a permission slip. And I think firearms are the exact same way. What do you think of the, uh, like you said, you mentioned earlier in this conversation about how machine guns are, are banned in 1986. Yeah. What do you think about that? How does that impact this conversation? Does that, is that a legitimate regulation? I don't, I don't think it's legitimate, no, but it, it's part of the conversation because it's an example of a gun ban. When people say we don't want to ban guns, we just want to ban certain guns. I'm like, I get it. That's part of the game. Don't forget all gun control organizations, the biggest ones today, like I think Brady itself, 1975, they were, the name of their company was, what, uh, we want to ban all the handguns company. It was something along that. So they wanted to it was handgun control incorporated or ink or something. Yeah, something exactly. Yeah. And they had to rebrand and rebrand because it found out one. Well, Brady was, Brady got shot in 1981 with Reagan. So then that's when they changed their name to Brady yeah. in order to create that emotional impact and connection. And they've been doing that kind of nonsense ever since. Let's find something that bad happened. We'll take that name and apply it to this over here. You know, they, they're writing bills now that are based on people's names of people who have been victims of crimes. Um, and that's all part of the rhetorical analysis. It's not reason. It's rhetoric that they need in order to win. But it was reasonable. If you're going to be a gun controller and fight against 
natural rights, which is immoral, at least you had reason intact to fight against handguns because the handguns are by and large, far and away, do far more violence than any other firearm. I mean, the rifles they want to ban commit fewer violence than baseball bats. I think they actually kill less people than staircases every year. It's like, it's phenomenal how little violence is done with the rifles they say they want to ban. So it's smart. If they're going to go after guns, go after handguns. Well, it turns out everybody has a handgun and they don't like that. So their strategy changed. How do we incrementally get rid of the scariest guns that are also the least owned? And we'll work our way backwards that way. And so that's why they're going after AR-15s and AK-47s. It's not because they function differently than any other hunting rifle. It's because they need to get over that hurdle so they can tighten the noose and work their way up. They already telegraphed their whole strategy. Yeah. We get it. But machine guns should right. not have been made illegal. Yeah. I, now, I think you're right about that broad picture. I would like to dial down into the machine gun thing a little bit more if you have yes. energy. but. But before we do that, I just wanted to say, I think they're going back after handguns. For sure. And the, the, back, the back door is high capacity magazines. So That's called right. high capacity magazines. Yeah. There was a thing I saw, I think it was yesterday on Instagram. It was a video. It's like a sh very short clip of less than a minute, maybe of a, I believe it's a congressman in his own home on C-SPAN. Did you see that? Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just to describe it for people that didn't see it. Um, I'm not sure the representative's name. I'm sorry, but um, he was showing different handguns and showing how the uh, so-called uh, 10 round non-high capacity <laughs> 10 is not high, apparently <laughs> uh, doesn't fit into the gun. And so the gun would be illegal and there's, mm -hmm. there's no magazine that would fit. I mean, I'm sure that industry would come up with new magazines but but um incidentally i don't know if you noticed but uh the the bill that nancy pelosi was touting uh mistakenly defined high capacity as 10 rounds oh <laughs> so that was yeah. a gap and then now they're that 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 says a lot right there when they have to yeah. rewrite the bill for one round to make yeah. it uh so they don't piss too many people off because that's right. Cause it can't violate, it can't violate Massachusetts and New York and, and California. So they have to stick to whatever they've set as that number. And they just came up with 10 rounds for some reason. I don't know how they got 10 rounds. Right. I mean, a mass shooting is defined as what it's a technical term, right? It's a, a mass, a mass shooting experience, mass murder. I think it's four or more have to die four so it's not three it's not five or more it's four i don't know how they came up with four but you know firearms and most people know a little that enough to say this that a revolver typically has six rounds you talk about these old western revolvers six shooters that's pretty standard still the technologies now allowed it, them to be smaller and have five rounds, right? That's still enough for a mass shooting, a revolver, mm -hmm. a small revolver. Um, and to your point, remember they said they were going, you said they were going after handguns. They were going after those revolvers. 
mm. a long time ago. Because mm -hmm. they're so concealable. Yeah. Yep. But, um, you know, we're getting a little bit into the weeds, but I don't know how they move forward with 10 round. That That can't be the goal. And in New York City, it's not 10. It's less than that. I think it's seven. Yeah, they, they made it seven, yeah. But yeah, I don't seven. know if that was found. I mean, I think maybe the seven was struck down. Something in my memory says it was, but I, I can't recall. I do know that half the counties in New York said they're not, they don't enforce those laws. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, I don't think it was struck down. Uh, Dale, how did you, how do you come up with your post? Do you have an, a recent post you want to talk about? How do you come up with your memes? Do you have a, a recent one? I just how do, one. I'm going to pull it up and see if I have anything that's recent. I like the spiritual abuse stuff you do. I think that's your real forte. That's your, thank you. Like if you're going to go to a steakhouse, you're going to get steak, right? I mean, you can get lobster if you want, and it's yeah. probably going to be pretty good but you're known for the steak and your steak is yeah. spiritual abuse stuff and the, the interesting cultural and political uh, connections you make. Yes. Yes. Well, here's one, but I do think it's good to unpack briefly that very first meme that you brought up for those who are still hanging on. Your audio cut out. Is that me or you? No, nah, it's me. Okay. I'm sharing here. Uh, I, I was looking for your website so that I could show people. Um, what did you yes. say your website was again? DaleFincher.com. DaleFincher.com. There it is. There it is. Perfect. Education from at voice of the second. For some reason, my, my internet is going slowly. So I'm hoping. Okay. So here's your website. Well, that looks ugly. Maybe it's still loading. It might, you be can like, go to posts. It might click be on posts. Okay. Posts will take you to, so wow. when I'm on Instagram, cause Instagram loves to, uh, shadow ban and uh -huh. everything. What I try to do with my post, it looks like, I don't know. I need to look into that. It looks like some of this not updating. But what I try to do is on Instagram, I, I delete oh, okay. everything after nine posts. But on my webpage, um, that's where my true archive is. So if you really want to interact and see oh, what I'm okay. talking about, cool. this is the place to go and leave comments and, and talk about it. But if you click on audio library at the top, it's where you can get to the stories of Jesus stuff. For those who are, yeah, that that's what we were talking about earlier when you you were mentioning this uh, service you do where you read the stories. That's what yeah, you're doing, I, right? You're reading. I, 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 no, I actually doing. Um, it, there it is. Stories of Jesus for the Modern Family. So if you there click is. on that, it'll open up a website over on Soundwise, and that's where everything's hosted. I actually do. Uh, um, it's an oral interpretation technique called storytelling. In, in which you know and understand the story enough that then you put it in your own words as if you're talking to a group of kids or a family or a, or a, or a meeting or whatever story, the way it was intended to be heard originally as a story. Wow. Does Jesus want to heal people? That sounds interesting. There you go. If I click on that. I can play it. Oh, you got you to, have to sign up to access that track. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> there are some free ones on there, but um, you have to scroll down, I think. 
Okay. But whatever the case, there they are. There they are. It was highlighted in, in orange. Scroll up. There oh, they are. I see. I Listen see. Those. So I can click that and hear it. You could. Yep. And then the commentary, which is the side B. Awesome. Okay. So, so that's, you had a dalefincher.com and then, yep, click and then you can on. navigate all this. Awesome. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. That's a great idea. Uh, I was going to pull up that meme again, but the yes. meme uh, is it handy? I, I think it is. Let me go ahead and go to my Facebook here. Hopefully no one has written me a, a comment that uh, is private here that pops up. There we go. It was on my, my page here. <clears throat> I don't know why it's taking me so long to get down there. There it is. There's here it is. There it this is. This one right here. Yes. June, June 1st. This is See, spiritual say, abuse. Christians should you always think. be on the side of laying down our rights for the benefit of the vulnerable. This isn't up for debate. Yeah. So th there's different ways you can look at it. This is in the context of the gun rights conversation. To the best of my knowledge, that's what it is. Oh, okay. That's so first helpful. of all, we that's have actually to helpful to know. Some people were asking who Paul Ward is. Um, David Crowder is asking, what's the context? Um, someone said he's a moron. I don't know who he is, though. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't see any of the replies. I'm wondering. Apple Lady Craig says, who is defining our rights and vulnerable? What are those yeah, definitions? Yeah. Um, someone says, I agree. It is spiritual abuse. Yeah. Um, wow. Everybody's really kind of on board with this. We should execute our rights to protect the vulnerable for this. That's right. Motivate. That's right. Um, yeah. You're getting a lot of fan stuff, but then, so Kristen Hark says, who is Paul Ward? And I, I didn't know how to, I didn't have time to look him up. Right. Well, I, did not know, I did not know the, the context. They could just go to Twitter where it was posted and they could read it. <laughs> yeah i mean you just do basic stuff like that but it's right there I, I was too busy but i i i had a sense that it was in the uh, what i love about your meme here is sometimes yeah. they people take off the date timestamp. i don't like oh that. i think yeah, it's I helpful like to have it you got to have yeah. the date timestamp so that you know a little bit about the context at least you know where to find it exactly and see what other people are saying yep yeah. exactly so, so is, this somebody, asking, is this somebody that you've, you follow on Twitter or? No, or I don't. I actually saw somebody else post this and I was okay. like, oh, I'm curious. And I went to Twitter myself, looked at what was going on and screenshotted it. So. Were the comments and stuff, were they about gun control? Do you think it was yes. about that? Okay. Yep. So is this guy and a people Christian? Are going, people are going both ways. Yep. Yeah. He's a yeah. Christian, the best of my knowledge. Yep. Okay. So the idea of what is rights, what's vulnerable, those are the, those are the operative terms in this. Um, and what we sh what, how you define them de determines everything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but most people, sadly, so many people don't, I can't say most, but I want to say uh, too many people don't know what a right is, especially about natural rights. So we have legal rights, we have constitutional rights, we have natural rights, we have human rights. These are all like different things. And, and you know that. But natural rights, which is what we're talking about here, are the moral boundaries around a person. 
when people talk about having boundaries, which there are many books written about that, that we're talking about rights. You can't just come in and take things from me. You can't just overstep my will. You can't enslave me. And you can't take my tools of self-defense either. Those are all natural rights. They're born, we're born with them. They're given by God. Nobody can take them away, not even politicians. They can stop protecting them, but your rights never go away. Natural rights cannot 100% at, in any way be separated from you. It just becomes immoral when people try to do that, which is why I think our politicians are immoral who promote gun bans. So looking at this, you say, we have to, Christians have to lay down your rights. You're like, lay down your moral boundaries. It's like we had to learn that we had moral boundaries. Anybody that grew up in an abusive or shame-based family knows I had to work to grow to understand moral boundaries. As a matter of fact, many people are vulnerable because they don't, do not have moral boundaries. Their moral boundaries were not respected. So it's really bizarre to say you have to lay down a right for the benefit of the vulnerable because mm. it is laying down your right that makes you vulnerable. Mm. In fact, you can't even lay it down you still have it Now you could choose not to exercise right, it, right. but you cannot actually lay down a God-given right. It is yours from birth and yours till death. You cannot, it cannot be laid down or taken away. You could just choose not to exercise it. So I might, for example, have a right to pass down the sidewalk. And somebody might say, well, okay, but there's a disabled person or somebody who doesn't walk well. You don't have a right to bump into them while you're walking down the sidewalk. And I would say, you're right, because they also have rights to not be bumped into. And my right to walk down the sidewalk did not include my right to bump into people. That's not a right. Yeah. So it's kind of like saying you have a right to self-defense. We don't have a right to shoot people at random. Right. Be like, yeah, right. you're exactly right. There, a firearm does never gives you a right to murder. No. Never. Why no. the mere fists give you a right to murder? This is nonsense. Right. So. When the they dri the driving analogy is interesting too, because you have a right to go to work. Doesn't mean you have a right to run over the old lady that's crossing the street. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. So it just becomes a nonsense phrase. But notice what he says at the end. He's going to shut everybody's mouths from speaking up. This isn't up for debate. So Paul uh, Ward is acting like dad yes. that telling last the three-year-old right that he can't have candy. You know, And it's just kind of like, no, you, you are doing this all wrong in order to accomplish whatever goal you think you need to accomplish, which would probably be the Second Amendment cannot be followed. In other words, we have to make more people vulnerable, take away the rights of the vulnerable. And by the way, you're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah, the not allowed, not being allowed to talk about it is probably the worst thing I think about this, because if it was error and look, I say stupid things. Right. Mm -hmm. I said a stupid thing once back when I was 11. I just said another stupid thing just now. Right. Because mm -hmm. I say I, I'm a human being. I say stupid things. We say dumb mm -hmm. things. You can walk it back and in, in dialogue. Someone can point out to you what you said and how it needs to be altered or rethought. And that's that's, that's right. what it means. And, and when you say it's not up for debate, the way I interpret that is i'm not gonna listen to you if you disagree with me sure yeah and nobody should actually and in fact i would censor you if i could yeah that's right now it, it as an offshoot of this thing 
is a lot of people think that if they have a Second Amendment right, or I should say a right to self-defense, that means they are required to use it. And I hear a lot of people say that where they're like, well, I don't want to have a gun. It sounds like you're telling me I have to have a firearm now. And the answer is you have a right to have a firearm. And because you have that right, you also have the right to not exercise it. So you could be a pacifist if you wish. You could be perfectly defenseless. You could be the person that allows people to come in and rob everything in your house. And you just stand to the side and say, you know, have a great day. You have a right to allow people steal things from you. You have a right to a whole heck of a lot of bad choices. But whatever the case is, just because you have a right doesn't mean you're obligated to exercise it. And that's an important distinction in the whole debate. We see the Apostle Paul doing that in Acts where he could have done some things that would have had a different effect. And he didn't do it because he was a Roman citizen. There was a time where he could have escaped prison. He didn't because he knew the the guard would be killed. Right. Um, yeah. So it's inter- it's interesting. It's a it's a good point. What do you? Th- it makes me think of the um, so called controversy over um, stand your ground laws when you were talking about That's right. walking exactly. by. Uh, there's a book called God Guns in America by Mike Austin, who also went to Biola. He's a graduate of a Biola Talbot philosophy program. He teaches philosophy. Mm -hmm. He went to Boulder to get a PhD. He's on the wrong side on this gun debate. He's a, he's on the Democrat side. He's he, all of his policy proposals, he hates uh, stand your ground laws. He thinks they're Mm -hmm. racist. Mm -hmm. I think. Um, And what do you think about stand your ground laws? Well, I think that if you're being assaulted, you, your first, the first thing that you need to be allowed to do is assess the situation and figure out how to get out of it. And standard ground laws say that you have, you will not be prosecuted for trying to assess the best way to avoid this violent confrontation or to stop the confrontation if it cannot be avoided. Whereas if you get rid of that law, then all of a sudden you have to run. Because, and this is always the thing about laws. Laws mean the government is allowed to do violence against you. So the fact that a sta- getting rid of stand your ground laws is actually saying, if you do not run away from the guy that's in front of you, if you actually do the right choice of having to stop the evil based on the context that you've been given, if you do that, the government can bring its violence against you, in which ironically, you need to stand your ground again. What do you do? The yeah, go- with go- the with their guns. Are- Government has far too monopoly on violence. And when yeah. they impose violence over you doing good things, that is a culture in absolute decay. And this, these are just symptoms of the injustice. People talk about systemic injustice. This is systemic injustice. When the government will impose its violence on you for you trying to do what is good. Yeah, with guns, with their guns, with their high yes. capacity magazines and their weapons of war. <laughs> and apparently they're using because they're compensating for something. At least that's what Twitter said. Wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah, the weapons of war thing is just gets me. Oh, what, what do you think of red flag laws? I think they're horrible if they bypass due process. So in other words, you're guilty before proven innocent. And they're I horrible. By, I that- think by definition they do. Do you think they get, is there a way you can craft them where they respect due process? 
only in the sense that I don't know the exact definition or how laws are outlined when it comes to people who make violent threats. If somebody's making a violent threat that is a violation of a law about violence, then a red flag law may be able to say, we need to figure out what's going on with this dude to make sure they're not taking these violent threats out in other ways. That would be the only way I think it could be cashed out. But that itself has to have a due process. Have they made the violent threats first? We need to make sure they're guilty of that. Where I see red flag laws in their most horrible, two horrible forms. One, they're easily abused. If you have somebody that doesn't like you that just wants to call you into the, into the red flag depot, then they, you can make somebody's life absolutely miserable. Think of all the uh, thwarted lovers who and, and, and ex-boyfriends and girlfriends who would love to just retaliate and get back at somebody. But the other side of it, too, is it's setting, it's actually putting in place a legal system in which you can rat on anybody for anything. And now we're dealing with 1984 level stuff where, oh, it was guns today, but tomorrow we're going to have kids ratting out their parents for voting a certain way, for having, you know, for supporting a certain idea or have believing in free speech or whatever, all the things we already know and we experience. Oh, they think you shouldn't get a vaccine. Okay, well, we're going to do red flag law on you. Child Protective Services is now going to take your kids away and on and on and on down the list. This is this is what red, red flag laws are really about to me. It's not about firearms. It's about all this other stuff. They just need to set that legal architecture in place so they can continue to, to harass people. Yeah, I'm reading 1984 uh, right now, actually. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty sobering, that, Very. that whole thing. Uh, it sounds right, what you're saying to me about all that. Um, the way I think of it legally, uh, a red flag law, is it's, it's taking, it's zooming in on where the police have the most discretion with the fewest impediments to what they're doing and that's like for example during a terry stop named after terry versus ohio which is a terry stop if, if you might you might know this is a fourth amendment issue when when you're pulled over the the police have enormous discretion in that moment to determine what are on a reasonable person standard whether they have they could possibly if some reasonable person out there might possibly think there's some danger mm -hmm. and what red flag laws do is they zoom in on that encounter and they expand it because usually that encounter is only minutes long right mm -hmm. if it's more than minutes long there's something else going on right mm -hmm. if it turns into hours something weird going on mm -hmm. Either you're driving a truck that can't be searched or <laughs> what, you know, but, but, you know, usually it's a minute minutes encounter, right. And there's a simple search for weapons that, that a reasonable person might think could possibly endanger the life of the officer. Right. Terry versus Ohio said that, the officer shouldn't have to choose between his own life and enforcing a traffic or enforcing the law. Right. Mm -hmm. It's pretty reasonable. It's reasonable. It's very, the lowest standard is reasonable, reasonably 
this, right? That's the lowest standard of review is what someone might out there think is reasonable for safety. Well, when you take that those minutes and you expand it to 30 days, basically what you have is a detention because on, in a Terry stop, you are detained by the police lawfully. Mm-hmm. So your, your rights, your ordinary rights are, are suspended for that moment. You don't have the liberty to go about your day. You don't have the liberty to defend yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> against a violent encounter, you know, mm-hmm. in a normal way of, you know, because you're, in, you're, the police have enormous discretion. So I think that the way I'm thinking of a red flag law is it's, it's taking that, that police power that that's uh, relatively uncontroversial and it's expanding it to now a month, two, three months, probably. And I've heard proposals for a year, taking guns away for a year. And then you have to ask permission to get them back or some kind of process or something like that. But basically you're detained. Yeah. You're not in prison. You're detained. Yeah, that's a good that's, distinction. That's what they're trying to get, like the due process thing. There's a there's a process you have to understand, but people only live so long. I mean, we have we don't. I'm if I lived a thousand years, I might think that's not a big deal, but in the ordinary lifespan, a year is actually kind of a big deal. Like you know, minutes are not a big deal in the ordinary lifespan, but when you're talking about now days, weeks, months, you're starting to. that's i think that's where the debate is what do you you think about that well i i think that's i think that's important to put the amount of detention that you have how long that is i mean that that's incredible but i thought of and i've heard people talk about this other area of, of red flags that are so damning is that what if you are the abuser wanting to hurt this other person and you red flag them and now you have been able to get an innocent person defenseless. So now you can go have your way with them. That's major. So what yeah. are the ramifications for the government when they take away self-defense tools, which is in many ways taking away their ability to defend themselves at all? What do you do with the government who takes it away from an innocent person and harm comes to that innocent person? Hmm. The, the penalty for the government should be so steep that they should not want to ever pass a law like this. Yeah, but because of qualified immunity, they're usually immune from from any kind of legal liability. So why are why are Democrats so why can't they make that connection? I don't understand. I mean, like they've never had with all the uh, pro- promiscuity on the Democrat side, they they know what it's like to have conflict over things like sexual harassment and conflict i would think their first if they're so concerned about racism i think that i would think that that would be the first thing they would mention because i i thought isn't white supremacy the the most uh That's thing, right. d- deeply feared thing so what about all the white supremacists that 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 red flag these uh minorities that they hate exactly what about that I mean, do you think they actually why is that not about, in the conversation you know I, I honestly i want to say there's a difference between the people who are really committed to this and then the pedestrian democrat who doesn't pay attention to what their party's actually doing 
I think there's a lot of good people out there who really need to wake up and start facing what it is they've been throwing their power behind and surrendering themselves to. But to the Democrats that are really die hard into this, I don't think they're thinking about any of that because they don't care about that. If they did, then reason would be riding in on its white horse and saying, hold up. I thought you were standing up for LGBTQ plus and they are so vulnerable and oppressed. Why on earth would you allow anybody red flag any of the people you're trying to protect? That, it, I it honestly like think they just assume that there's no gay person out there that would want a gun for self-defense. <laughs> right. Or any black right. person would want that or anything else. I honestly right. think that they they have another objective in mind. And because of that, when these are brought up, they kind of dismiss them, dismiss them. Oh, we don't want that. We're not supporting that because their objective is somewhere further down the road. They need to get this in place for that other thing. And that's whenever reason doesn't show up, everybody should say, hold up the brakes. This conversation is done. We're not voting for anything because you don't want to have the bigger conversation about the abuses that will take place and the due process that nobody gets to have. I pointed this out with the red flag issue, Mike Austin's book, or not the red flag issue, but the, um, the stand your ground issue, which is, yeah. Why would you turning the race issue on its head here with the standard yeah. ground laws? Why would you support a law that makes it a crime for a victimized black person not to run away? Yeah. Why would you make it a duty? Said another way is why would you create out of nothing a yeah. brand new duty? a legal duty on the black person. That's a victim of attack. Yeah. I mean, they're already a victim when you're a victim, you're busy being a victim. You know, you you're traumatized. You got trauma. You got yeah, milliseconds, of, milliseconds to decide what it is you need to do to, to save yourself. Yeah. Yeah. This is not armchair reflection. This is like, you're trying to deal with something and you, you have obviously the trauma now you're adding another source of trauma, which is a criminalization of innocent conduct, which is just standing there. Since when is standing there a criminal offense when you're a victim? Mm -hmm. and, and, and now, see, there's a thing that Mike Austin doesn't get. Prosecu prosecutorial discretion. It's a thing. Yeah, the prosecutor doesn't have to bring charges. There's no law that says you must bring charges. That's why prosecutors typically stand for election and and sheriffs too, mm -hmm. because it's ultimately political. Mm -hmm. You know, the people decide. Oh, I, you know, we don't like that you didn't charge that guy with murder. You're out, or you didn't mm -hmm. try hard enough to get that guy convicted. You're out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, we have this issue in Los Angeles County with the, with the, with the, um, the DA there. He doesn't want to prosecute people for, for things that should be prosecuted. But, but the discretion there means there's no oversight legally. He has immunity, he has, he has immunity from lawsuits. He, there's no oversight of whether if he brings charges against a black person, but not a white person, because it's discretion. That's what discretion means. Mm -hmm. So the black person doesn't run away, bring charges. The white person doesn't run away, eh, prosecuted at all discretion, eh, made sense.
totality of circumstances. We're not going to use the resources of the DA to go after that person. And and it's only the the standard ground laws that take that discretion away, the possible discretion away. That's why I don't like may issue regimes of concealed carry. It's too much discretion. The sheriff, I don't like your tie. I don't like your haircut. I don't like that uh, tattoo. I don't like that. Uh, well, the, the sheriff could say, I don't like that you're black. Uh, maybe it's not said that way. It's not said like, I don't like your dreadlocks and you look like a gangbanger. It's not said that way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be said at all. It would be said a different way. It would be said, you don't have good moral character, some vague mm-hmm. thing like that. And that's all they need to deny. They don't have, there's no oversight. You can't sue them because mm-hmm. it's good cause is totally up to the discretion of the issuing officer, as opposed mm-hmm. to a shall issue regime. And, and so anyway, I've got, we've got Christians on the wrong side of this issue. And that's what I'm trying to. Uh, they, ha- they haven't, honestly, I don't think it's because they thought about it. I mean, if you put anybody in that situation, you're about to be assailed. Are you thinking, or are you required to think in the back of your head? Wait a second. Can I stand my ground right now to, in order to survive? Or do I have to show that I try to run away because the law I'm so dang afraid of my government. I'm more afraid of them than even this bad guy who's coming at me with his two friends and sharp objects, you know, I kind of don't, you know, I think it came down to it. The government really is scarier than these guys. So I'm just going to go ahead and let them stab me as I'm running away. That sounds like it. No, the reality of it is. That's, that is abuse, right? That, that is an abusive situation. What you just mentioned. Huge, huge. And, but at the end of the day, this is the way, in the beginning of the day, this is what people do. (laughs) If you're in a bad situation, you're trying, you're going to use your best judgment to address it and let the chips fall where they fall. Because when it comes down to protecting my life for the sake of my kids, if I'm by myself and I was single and everything, I'd be like, you know what? I might have some a few seconds here to navigate this. I might be able to run super fast, but when I'm coming to, down to protecting my life and my kids and my wife, I'm gonna do whatever is necessary in that moment to expeditiously make us safe. And then if the government doesn't like it, the government has to deal with it. I mean, yeah. And that's a big enough job. What you just said, that's a big enough job. In prison I, don't, for I, don't, my kids sake. I don't care at the end of the day. It's like I'm beginning. It or doesn't at noon, matter. At noon. Or at noon. If my you know, kids at lunchtime, <laughs> at lunchtime, if my kids are alive and their dad had to go to prison for keeping them alive, that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. That's what good people do. That is a moral choice, but the law. You, should, you shouldn't be in prison for it then. No, the law is immoral and those who would execute it are deeply immoral. Then again, we're back to the social, the, the systemic injustice and we're back to a system in because we're not thinking in terms of morals anymore. We're just thinking in terms of the outcome that I somehow wished it up and it's always going to arrive at that conclusion. The best, surest way to good outcomes is to follow what is true and good and moral. That is the surest, closest guarantee you can ever get to good outcomes. We do it backwards in our society by manipulating our morals to somehow craft an outcome that we conjured up in our imagination. If we could get Mike Austin on here, would you read his book and, and be a participant in a, in a call with him? Uh, that we would broadcast. We, we, can have, 
we can have a conversation for sure. I'd read it. If he's willing to do it, and I probably wouldn't treat yeah. it like a debate as much as, as a, a let's have a conversation about conversation. it. Because there may be things, I, I, I would like to know where this reasoning, where his reasoning fits with the moral realist view of the, of, of the universe. I would like to know that. And I think that's an important thing to look at. I think he would say he's a moral realist. Um, mm-hmm. So it would be very interesting. I know he's pro-life. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's, he's kind of a mixed bag on that. Um, I, the way I s- assess him is that, and folks like him, like this other professor I was mentioning, um, is that, um, well, I guess it's not really relevant what my th- personal thought is on that. I, I mean, I'll say it. It's just, I just think that they don't like guns. I think it's simple as that. They don't like It'd be like if I had something against cars or something or motorcycles or something like that. Um, It's not a perfect analogy, but. Well, are they against uh, self standing your ground for any type of self-defense? I mean, let's say guns don't even exist in the universe. It's 1500s. Would stand your ground still apply to 1500s? All you got is a sword, maybe a pike. You're just like walking around going, oh my goodness, I just got ambushed. Do I have to fight my way out of this? Good question. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what he would say to that. I, I invited him on a while back and he declined. Um, I, I don't know how to interpret him. To me, I'm not sure if he's uh, truthful because I uh, the reason he gave me didn't make sense to me. Uh, he, he defriended me on Facebook after he found out I was a Republican mm. and I'm not sure if, I just think he doesn't like me. And so yeah. that's why I'm interpreting that. He friended me and then defriended me almost immediately. And, and I, 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 I'm so used to being mistreated by Democrats. I'm so used to that, that yeah. that's, that was my immediate assumption. <laughs> <laughs> and I did ask him after that. After that, I asked him if he wanted yeah. to come on and talk about his book, and he said no. He huh. said he was he said he was too busy. Yeah. Anyway, well, maybe so, the conversation wouldn't be fruitful. I, I don't know, but I I do I think that we, I do think we have to be thoughtful about it, and we can't just conjure up outcomes that we wish existed. Well, Mike, if you're listening to this, Mike Austin, um, you're welcome to come on, and we will treat you fairly and nicely and. And, um, so we have thoughtful people on our side that would love to interact with you. Well, uh, thanks for coming on today, Dale at voice of the second Instagram, find him on Instagram at voice of the second. Are you on any other social media? Are you on Twitter? Or- I, I'm on, I'm on Twitter and I correspond on there a little bit. Once it becomes more of a free speech place, I'll be on there more, but okay. the, uh, my website, dalefincher.com, and my wife and I, Jonalyn, we run a, uh, started a podcast a few months ago that is just conversations between ourselves over the, over the kitchen table. So that one's called Back Porch with Dale and Jonalyn. That's also found on my website. But you can also find it on Spotify and Apple and that, but Back Porch with Dale and Jonalyn. And we talk about a wide variety of stuff, but politics does come up. Okay. Back porch with Dale and John Owen. Yes. And your wife's an artist. That's right. Watercolor artist. She can be found at John Owen Fincher. She's very good. 
And I knew her back when she wasn't an artist. So I saw the evolution of it. It's interesting. She'd be actually a very interesting guest on this because oh, yeah. we have an artist. I have, I'm developing an artist artistic uh, set of interviews like film novelists. Yeah. I've had a novelist come on. I've had people on film come on. So well, she's a painter. She would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's really People good. Love her. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw her working really hard and, and saw how good she got. And I knew that the kind of person she is, she's incredibly dedicated and, and reliably probably uh, showing up to her own appointments on time, making sure she gets her time in. She's obviously dealing with kids and dealing with uh, how to take care of things at the house, but she's also putting the time in. She's incredibly dedicated to her craft, which mm -hmm. is, is what makes it very interesting to me. It's kind of inspiring because it's like you can, if you really want something like that, like she wants to be good. Yeah. Talk to Jonalyn because she That's can right. maybe coach you through that. That's right. Well, uh, yeah. So thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on and, uh, doing what you do and, and providing a, a sensitivity about vulnerability and uh, abuse and victims of abuse in the, in the church setting to like our conversation about guns and stuff like that. It's so helpful to know that the, the, um, the commercial for lack of a better term, the advertising we get from the democratic party is we care about all the vulnerable people and you don't. And, and that's just false advertising. That's right. And, it's marketing. It's all it is. Yep. Yeah. All right. If they did care about everybody, then the rainbow flag would have a make America great again logo. And it would include people who are conservative and it would not shy away from any white colors on there. Hmm. But the way it is, it is just a new globalist flag of a new kind of global religious political order. And, uh, and they're going to only include people that support the order. And if you don't support the order, you're not included, which is fine. You can have your own order, right. but don't say it's inclusive right? because it's not, it's not, it's extremely exclusive and definitely bigoted. So it's like, do your thing, but don't <laughs> try to pretend it's not. I think that they should switch from the alphabet soon and they're called the alphabet people i think they should switch from that because there's only 26 letters in the alphabet <laughs> and eventually they're going to run out and uh -huh. i know they have a plus sign and they're going to you know milk that the mathematical symbols for a while but but i think they should just switch to chinese characters that's my thought that and that's yeah. my if you're on the uh bl uh, the tl blt um divided group if you're in that the pride group um did i say the letters right maybe i didn't say the right uh, t t l b g l g b t uh, if you're in that group then just switch to chinese characters because i think there's like sixty thousand chinese characters so it's going to be a that, really long time to that's run very out. handy and it'd be great too because all of this kind of coordinates with China's philosophy yeah. of destabilizing capitalist systems, yeah. which is, of course, their, their Cens objective. Censorship. So there'll be a step even further along in the game. So, 
criminalizing innocent conduct. Yeah. Making right. people vulnerable. All right. right. Well, <laughs> until next time, my friend. Yes.